0: Hello and welcome to Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from a rich past. I'm your host, Laura. Join me today as we explore a piece of Kansas City's history. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I am so sorry that this episode was delayed. Thank you to all of my loyal listeners for your patience. Um, part one was delayed, you know, first because it was spring and I was working in my yard. I had a few weekends out of town. And then I got my COVID shot. That knocked me out for a weekend. So um, you know, everyone go get your COVID shot. It's doing good. Anyways, um, I'm really excited that summer is nearly here. And if only this rain would stop, then you know we could spend time outside and enjoy it. Um, but I am really excited to do some traveling this summer, so I finally am getting this episode out and Y'all, I tried really hard, but it was quite obviously um, very foolhardy to attempt to do the entire history of the plaza in one episode. So, it is in two episodes. Um, This is part two of the Country Club Plaza, which is the second episode of my fourth series, Treasures of Kansas City. Part one was on the life of the creator of the plaza, Mr. J.C. Nichols. Because this was delayed, I was able to write parts two and three at the same time. So part two is coming out tonight, May 24th. Um, Part three will hopefully also come out tonight. Please listen to it in the correct order if it does. Otherwise, I should get it out in a few days. So um, let's get on with the show and let's do a quick recap. Jesse Clyde Nichols was born August 23rd in 1880 in Olathe, Kansas. He went to college at KU in Lawrence, married Jesse Eleanor Miller Nichols on June 18th in 1905. They had three children, Eleanor, Miller, and J.C. Jr. Almost right out of college, Nichols started his own real estate business and is responsible for the creation of multiple neighborhoods Excuse me, in the KC area, including... Uh, Sunset Hills, Indian Hills, Mission Hills, and a couple others. He was also instrumental in the creation of the Liberty Memorial, but he's most well known for the Country Club Plaza, which is what we're here for today. So before we get into that, there actually is one more thing I need to talk about. Um, I need to tell you about the City Beautiful movement of the 19, early 1900s. Um, I'm probably going to call it CBM or CB just for short. So, I've talked about this before. Kansas City started off as this rough and tumble town. Um, there's like no pavement. It's dirt streets. It's dirty. We have the stockyards, so it's really smelly. But the stockyards are what helps promote the town. Um, it brings uh, immigrants and workers, uh, and it brings money. So it's what really what helped our town grow. So this group of affluent and influential men led by the president of the board of park commissioners decides Kansas City needs a little sprucing. Um, they're going to get some paved roads and some nice parks and some street, uh, let's try that again, tree-lined streets and this will not only make us look pretty, so visitors will want to return, but it will improve our morality. That was um, a really big philosophy of the time: that if it looks nice, it's morally nice. If that makes any sense, um, I don't know how to explain it better because I am not a philosopher. Anyways, um, if if we get more visitors and they like it and they tell their friends and then they come and then they come back this is good right it's more money for the town um also i I have to mention i really think it's funny that they thought it would improve the town's morality when this is the late 1800s we haven't even gotten to the 1920s and 30s yet which is when we are in the name uh paris of the plains because we're basically sin city of the west Anyways. Um, so we end up with this thing known as the City Beautiful Movement. Um, just like I said, the idea of paved roads, parks, clean up the city, make it look nice. Okay, so, Plaza. In 1904, J.C. starts his own real estate company with two other men, brothers. Um, basically they're buying up land for cheap and they're building houses for cheap, which they then sell for around $1,000. So my source said that this was, quote, inexpensive, in quote, for the time. And I'm like, I don't know, $1,000 doesn't sound very cheap, especially for 1904. So I looked it up, and in 1904, $1,000 would be the equivalent of almost $30,000 today. Actually, the calculator that I used said that it would be $29,208.71. and seventy one cents, and Actually, yeah, if you're buying a house today, um, I think the minimum is like 40K. So, you know, 30K would be hella cheap. But at the same time, I can think of a lot of other things to spend 30K on. Anyways, um, so after a year of success, JC's like, I have a dream. Okay, that's the wrong guy. But really, he's like, I have this vision, right? He wanted to buy land outside of town instead of inside of town, and he wanted to design the entire neighborhood from scratch, and he was going to do the shopping right next to the house, and according to historian William Worley, his motivation for the shopping center next to the house is actually really quite ingenious. So basically, he was catering to the women of the households, which hadn't been done before. Because, um, as as uh, William explains, refrigeration is basically unknown. Um, there are ice boxes, but they don't last. They don't keep the food fresh for very long, right? It's like a short term thing. So women are going to the store. Um, at least once a week, probably two or three times a week. And they have to take the trolley. So you're lugging your kids to the store. You're lugging them home again with all these groceries. You know, it takes you at least 15 minutes to get there. The trolley's not always on time. It breaks down a lot. You never quite know when it's coming. This is a big ordeal. It's really a hassle so he wanted to put them closer together so that women could just pop in and out real quick and um for for further explanation i want to break this down for you for a second so a fridge and a car are ridiculously common today i mean there are baby toys of fridges and cars my nephew is uh three and my brother and sister have had him since he was one he's adopted he's so cute um and i think like since they since they first got him they've had this um toy kitchen that he absolutely loves to play with and he pretends to cook and if you play with him like that's what you're going to do you're going to be cooking so and of course he loves his, his little truck um, but You see what I'm saying? They're toys. They're so common. A fridge was not invented until 1899 and cars were invented in 1886. We're talking about 1905 as the start, um, the creation of the vision. Um, It's not being built yet, but you know, it's, it's percolating. So cars and fridges have not been around for very long. But the trolley was invented in 1834, so it's been around for a really long time, that's like 70 years, and it was a very common form of transportation. I hope all that's making sense for y'all so far. Anyways, um, JC is like, okay, I'm gonna buy this land along Brush Creek, it's just south of the border, and, uh, a man named Hugh Ward, owned dead at the time, yes, that's the one the street's named after, so he's like, yes, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm gonna see my vision through. Um within three years he owns a thousand acres of land along that stretch. It's kind of a lot, right? I mean, I know it's bigger today, but a thousand acres is really a lot. Um, but another realtor, George Law, is doing the same thing in the same general area. Um, it's like the land right next to the one that JC's trying to get. Um, But he is following a more traditional method of dividing this land up into small plots and selling it individually rather than uh, developing it himself. So JC's like, well, I ain't going to let this stop me. Uh, I should also mention um, Mr. Law is um, very successful in his real estate venture because, all right, so those of you who don't know, Brush Creek um, was really pr- prone to flooding. And all of the people who lived in KC knew this. That's why the land hadn't been settled yet because they're like, we don't want to live there. It's going to flood. So he's like, hey, you in New York, you want to move to Kansas City? I got this great plot for you. Here you go. And they're buying it sight unseen, not knowing that it's going to flood. Anyways, um, J.C.'s like, I'm not going to let you stop me. So he starts buying the lot from law And he gets one of his employees, George um, Tortolot. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. I'm pretty sure it's French. Um, He's getting him to buy them up too. And actually George buys up most of the land from law on Nichols' behalf. Um, And like I said, we're not building just yet and... Before I get to the building, I want to introduce a couple more of the major players here. Um, we have George Kessler, Edward Bueller Delk, and Edward Tanner. Um, I'm just going to give really brief introductions to these guys. Okay, so Kessler was born in Germany in 1862. He moved to America with his parents when he was a child. Excuse me. And then he moved back to Europe to study landscape design. Um... architecture and several other things. Um, But then he moved back to America again in 1892 and he became one of the city's lead planners for the City Beautiful movement. Edward Delp was an architect. He was born in New York in 1885. Chasey hired him to be the consulting architect in 1920 after he had completed university in Pennsylvania. And Edward Tanner, also an architect, studied at KU. He was hired by JC in 1919. He left the Nichols Company a few years later and started his own architectural form. But he was heavily involved in the design of the Country Club Plaza. And he uh, is actually a really well-known architect in the Kansas City area. So we will most definitely come back to him at some point in the future. All right, so official construction on the plaza starts in 22, 1922. This is 17 years that he spent preparing for this, guys. That is some dedication. I know that we had World War One in there. There was a, a bit of a pause, but that is some dedication. There are three things that made this shopping center especially unique. Number one, It was America's first outdoor shopping center. Number two, it was the first shopping center in the world, in the world, designed with cars in mind. And three, quote, it's unifying architectural theme. So I'm going to break this down starting with number three, because it's very pretty and very unique in Kansas City. Um, My sources agreed that Nichols and his family traveled to Europe And visited Spain in the early 1920s. But they don't agree if the architecture inspired his designs for the plaza. Or if they went to Spain because he had already decided on the style. Uh, Based on the timing that everything occurs. I think he picked out the style before he traveled. Uh, But he also sent Mr. Delk. The lead architect to Spain, Mexico and several South American countries. To study their architecture to use as inspiration for the plaza. In the end, um, the style it was built in is a Moorish Revival style, and it's specifically based on the architecture found in Seville, Spain. So Seville is the capital of the Andalusia region of Spain. It's the southernmost region. Andalusia was conquered by the Muslims at the time known as the Moors. That's where we get Moorish style in 712. Hence, the heavy Islamic influence in its architecture. Side note, Islamic architecture is some of the most aesthetically beautiful architecture in the world. Fight me. So, some of the elements that define Moorish revival style are domes, crenelated arches, which are the parapet topped with alternating indentions and raised portions, Originally for defense, but later used as a decorative motif. Um, If that does not help you with visualizing this, picture an old-timey castle where you have like the square up, square down, square up, square down. That's what that is. Um, A horseshoe arch, a pointed arch, and a lancet window, which is a narrow window with a sharp pointed arch. Also courtyards and decorative tiles. And the Spanish architectural elements of the plaza are really easy to identify. Red tile roofs, pretty much all of the elements that I just named, um, you can walk along and you'll find like a square on the side of the wall. And it's this really decorative um, tile mosaic piece. Um, There's towers. All of the towers have the arches and the um, crenellated arches. There are lots of pointed windows. We have several courtyards. Um, so architecturally, it's just, it's very open, even with the streets running through it. And you really do feel like you're in somewhere else, not Kansas city. I will have photos on the website and social media pages. All right. So number two, which was the first in the world designed with cars in mind, Quote, Nichols devoted 46% of his land to wide streets and parking lots. Prior to his vision of the Country Club Plaza, commercial buildings failed to add any type of parking for cars. End quote. And what were some of the first things built at the plaza? Gas stations. Later during the Depression in the 1930s, the gas stations actually did better financially than the other stores. And that's kind of what kept this whole endeavor afloat for a few years. Number one, um, which was, let me go back and look at that. My computer is not cooperating, sorry. Um, number one was the first outdoor shopping center. Well, that's pretty obvious. I can't really go into more detail on that. And I doubt that you want me to trace the entire history of malls going back to ancient times. That's not necessary. Alright, so, quote, when construction began in spring 1922, Nichols commented, It is essential the new district be not only attractive to the eye, affording also a maximum of convenience, but that it be made commercially profitable, end quote. Another quote, His plan included no building over three stories high, harmony in design and color, wide streets and parking lots, in quote. So, There were so many people who doubted him that for a short time it became known as Nichols Folly, which I find hilarious. So most sources name the Mill Creek building, also known as the Sudan building. I think I'm saying that right. It's S-U-Y-D-A-M. The Chandler building also has a claim to the title of first building, but like I said, most call the Mill Creek building the first building and here's why. So the Chandler building is actually built before the official construction, that's why it's not considered the first, but because it was there before I'm like you kind of have a claim. Anyways, um in 1916 Chandler Floral, which was a floral shop, moved to the corner of Mill Creek and Ward Parkway onto land that Nichols had yet to claim. Um, and then in 1920, the Nichols Company renovated the building in the Spanish style in anticipation of the Country Club Plaza, which began two years later. Um, they also added gas stations to the surrounding area, again, before the official construction, but in the same style, again, in anticipation. So it's right there on the corner um, not corner, sorry, at the entrance to the plaza, the address is 4646 J.C. Nichols Parkway, Kansas City. Oh, sorry. Um, So that should actually be Mill Creek Parkway, Kansas City, because the name changed. Um, the source I was looking at is from before the name change. So P.F. Chang's is right there on the corner of the entrance. If you've been to the plaza, you know where I'm talking about And this was also the first building to be strung with Christmas lights, which became the source of the Plaza Lighting Ceremony. In December 2020, I devoted an entire episode to the history of the Plaza Lights. Uh, Please go and listen to it if you have not already done so. Sadly, there wasn't much detail to give concerning that history, but I will give a brief recap. So, one year, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, it was 1925, Pete the maintenance supervisor for the JC Nichols company decided to hang a small strand of lights across the storefront of the Mill Creek building. And it was really popular. So they just keep adding more lights each year. And then in 1930, they had the first official lighting ceremony and now it's super popular. And we have it every year, except for 2020 where we had a quote virtual lighting ceremony. Not entirely sure that counts or not. Um, the lights were still lit. You could go and see them, but there was no, you know, official kickoff, which is always a really big deal in Kansas City. And um, something I learned in December when I was doing that show was when the light bulb dies and they have to replace it, they turn it into a Christmas tree ornament, which you can buy. And they're absolutely delightful. I bought one and I'm totally going to buy more in the future. All right, so the first shops opened in 1923. They were just really fast with this construction, y'all. Um, the first first four stores... Let me try that again. I feel like that was a little bit of a tongue twister. The first four stores were located inside the Mill Creek building. They were Miss Rinke's Photography Studio. Sorry, I'm not sure if I said that right. Um, it's R-E-I-N-E-K-E. Mrs. M. C. Chisholm's Millinery Shop, Mrs. J. C. McRaven's Maranello Beauty Shop, and Lou Francis Baby Shop. The Sudan Furniture and Interior Decorating Company moved into the building in August in 23, and that is when the name changed to the Sudan building. Next came the Triangle Building at the intersection of 47th Warnell, and Wyandotte. Shops there included Sign of the Thistle, Thistle, which, which sold, quote, gifts and accessories, end quote, the Jane Nichols lingerie, no relations, and the Western Union and Superior Cleaners. Quote, By November 1923, 12 stores and services were in operation. These included Hunter Brothers Drugs, Lou Francis Baby Shop, Barker Harley Motor Company, which was a Ford dealership, Flora McCallis Gifts, and a Piggly Wiggly Grocery. The Wolferman's Building, Tower Building, and Balcony Building followed in rapid succession. Man. Words. Uh, where are we at? These added tenants to the retail roster such as the Avon dress shop and a Wolferman's grocery end quote. So Fred Wolferman owned multiple grocery stores around town and he just sounds really interesting. I'm definitely gonna have to do an episode on him in the future too. But the plaza location of his uh, franchise is extra special because it's the biggest and it has its own bakery. And Wolferman himself actually owned the building, not Nichols. Um, the store lasted until the 60s or 70s. I'm not sure of the date because I didn't do a deep dive. Um, at which time Commerce Bank bought the building. Y'all know where that's located on the plaza. And it remains one of only two buildings on the plaza not owned by the Nichols company. The other building is the Skelly building. Um at least as late as the 1990s that might have changed since then i couldn't find anything about current ownership of those buildings the skelly building was added to the plaza in 1938 to house the tulsa oil company's marketing department so in march 1928 jc began construction of the plaza theater this is a big deal Um, Like everything else, they created it in absolutely record time because they showed their first film in October. So that's March, May, April, June, July, August, September. Okay, so they had only seven months construction. I don't know anything that can get built in seven months today. Um, The first film was shown on October 9th, and it was street angel i have no idea what that is the theater was designed for movies plays and concerts it was situated inside of a 42 foot tall tower which nichols and tanner designed the interior to replicate a spanish villa for example quote um, sorry for example the lobby quote was designed to mimic an inner court with a red tile floor highlighted with glazed tiles Depicting Spanish military figures. End quote. Um, one of my neighbors is mowing the lawn, so if you hear that in the background, he really needs it. It's been so wet and rainy, I haven't been able to get out there. Where are we at, Laura? Um, so I don't know about outside of America, but you know that in America we have all these different theater companies, right? There's B and B, Regal, AMC, Cinemark, etc. So the plaza was first operated under Wesco Fox Midwest and then Dickens Theatres. Does anybody remember Dickinson? Oh, sorry, I said that wrong the first time. It's Dickinson, not Dickens. We had a Dickinson at the Leavenworth Plaza in my hometown and used to go there all the time because they had really cheap tickets and afterwards you could go out and play with the bears. You guys remember the bears? They weren't real bears. They were stone, but you could climb on them, and it was fun. It was a Leavenworth thing. Um, Yeah, that closed down, like, just after I finished high school, and I think it's because Phoenix at the Legends had just opened, and it was close enough that everybody went there. Anyways, getting way off topic. So the Plaza Theater, um, there were some renovations done in the 60s and again in the 80s. Dickinson closed in 1999, and Cinemax took over. Um, there's also a section of the theater that got turned into restoration hardware in 99. So despite the Great Depression where nobody had a job, nobody worked, everybody was poor, um, Nichols company continued to add buildings to the Plaza such as the JC Nichols building and the Plaza Espinade building. In 1930, J.C. Nichols Company finally moved from its offices downtown to the J.C. Nichols building on Ward Parkway. Meyers Barbecue opened in 1931 and Bo Sing's Chinese opened in 1932, which are both also on Ward. The plaza has this really cute Easter tradition of installing human-sized statues of Easter bunnies throughout the shopping center. Saying that out loud, it sounds creepy, but when you see a picture of them, they actually are kind of cute. I'll have some photos from you on social and the website. Um, And the bunnies have a very interesting history behind them. So their first appearance was in '91, and they first appeared at the Crestwood Shops, which was also owned by JC Nichols, until they moved to the plaza. Um, I totally did that wrong. Hang on, I'm sorry guys. Okay. So their first appearance on the plaza was in thirty-one. There you go. They first appeared, period, in nineteen twenty two at Crestwood. Um there are nine of them. Their names are Brian, Sue, Amy, Bess, Ellen, Kate, Lee, Nichols, and of course Peter. And we cannot forget The Plaza Art Fair, which began in 1932, y'all. The Plaza Art Fair is one of the biggest art fairs in the Midwest. I can't believe it's been around since 1932. (laughs) Quote, held on an empty lot on the southwest corner of Nichols Road and Central, where Tiffany & Co. is now, um, is now as of 1990. Ninety artists displayed their paintings by leaning them against trees and benches. Paintings were priced from $1 to $10, if only. In the 1940s, it was located in what is now the Chandler Courtyard by the Cheesecake Factory, end quote. If only, if only I could go to the Plaza Art Fair and get this beautiful painting for $10. I don't think I've ever seen a painting at the Plaza Art Fair that's less than 300 And most of them are more like 500 a 1000 2000, it's been held every year, except for 2020, of course, damn you coronavirus. Um, but it should be returning this fall. So I'm really excited to go. Um, today it covers all nine city blocks. There are food trucks and there's stages for live entertainment. It's so much fun. Quote, in the following decade, new stores opened their doors, such as Safeway Grocer in 1932, Kroger Grocery in 1934, and S&S Kresge 5 and 10 in 1937. The Plaza Medical Building, completed in 19, uh, November 1937, brought Jack Henry's menswear, Lerner's Vogue Shop, Richardson's Shoes, and an F.W. Woolworth 5 and 10 end quote. Sears joined the plaza on November 20th in 1947. This is a BFD, y'all, because Sears began in 1892 and it started as a catalog, right? Y'all ever heard of the Sears and Robot catalog? If not, then I think you didn't read Little House on the Prairie like you should have as a child. Anyways, in the late 1940s, So 50 years later, it's still a catalog business. They have a couple of small retails um, in like downtown locations, but there's not a Sears store like we knew of them when we were kids. So this is their first Sears store. It's huge. And Plaza has never had anything quite this big before. Quote, this store, which featured five levels Included a freestanding garden shop and an auto center, end quote. Hausberg's Diamonds joined the plaza in 1948. Late 40s, early 50s, some more major retailers joined the plaza. And, you know what, let's end on that in a high note, shall we? I know that's a little bit abrupt, but that is a good place to stop for the day. Plus, I'm already over my time. Thank you for joining me today as we explored the history of the plaza. Please join in for the next episode to hear the conclusion of this series, um, sorry this subject. I had a good variety of sources for this episode, there are several newspaper articles, there was a historic survey by the Missouri State Historic Preservation Office, uh, some scans from the Missouri Valley Research Center, a walking guide, and I finally have a book again I have the Plaza First and Always by William S. Worley that I borrowed from the library. This was written in the mid '90s, so it's a little bit dated, but it has some really good info, uh, especially about the '40s, '50s, '60s, and '70s. And um, each, pretty much each page has an image or a photograph. And there are several detailed photographs at the end of the book. They're really pretty. I think y'all would like this book if you take a look at it. Um, I also found this blog called Shopping Mall Museum, which gave a fabulous summary of which stores joined and when. For merch, please visit zazzle.com store slash homegrown underscore Casey underscore store to see what's available. Um, I'm going to be adding some new merch soon, so you really want to check it out. Also, I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, I saw that right now everything is at 15% off. Um, in some new news, new announcement here. Um, back in like January, maybe February, I was contacted by a man with a business venture um, opportunity, and I decided to accept. So, he created this website called Audia. It's an audio idea. The way he explained it to me is he's building this platform to basically be the audio version of YouTube. So, instead of being like, hmm, is there a video on, fill in the blank, it's going to be a website of, is there an audio recording of, whatever. And so you can go and you can search for this idea and get an audio of this idea. So I have created my page on Audia and I just, I'm working on building that, uploading my episodes to it. I will have more details on where to find this website very soon. I'm pretty excited about it. Please follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest and Twitter. I'm Homegrown KC on all of these. You can visit my website for additional information. That's homegrownkc.wordpress.com. Yes, I'm still super behind and have not created any new pages for these topics. I'm working on it. I promise. If you have any comments, questions, concerns or episode suggestions, please email me at homegrownkcpodcast@gmail.com and you can find my uh, email on Facebook and the website, and I think it's also on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I've got several new Patreon episodes scheduled for the summer. Um, the next one to come out is actually going to be an interview that I did with the archivist of Glamma. That's the Gay and Lesbian Archives of Mid-America. That's going to come out June 1st. So, if you are not a Patreon subscriber, I hope you will consider becoming one. Once you sign up and create an account, you will be charged that day. And then on the first of every month afterwards, it's only $5 a month. And you can sign up to receive access to these exclusive episodes at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot homegrownkc or redcircle.com slash homegrownkc. And in addition to being, uh, to receiving access to these episodes, you will also get a shout-out here on the show. Thank you, Bjorn, for your support. And you will receive one free item from the merch store valued at $5 or less. If you cannot commit to a monthly donation or you just want to give a one-time donation, that feature is available at redcircle.com slash homegrowncasey. Thanks goes out to my very talented sister-in-law, Sarah McCombs, who created my logo. To the dear Misses for the use of their song, Kansas City, as the intro and outro music of the show. And to local libraries, which enabled me to gather all my research. Thanks for listening!